Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm grateful to your pastor and my friend, Wade Owens, for allowing me to be here. And I will tell you this. I know he tells you he loves you. But Wade talks about you all the time. Now, when you hear somebody saying, hey, that person talks about you all the time when you're not there, you may get a little suspicious. But let me tell you how your pastor talks about you. He tells you what he loves. He tells us what he loves about you. He tells us about what he's praying to God on your behalf for your life. And then he also shares with us about how much he loves his wife and his children and excited about what God's doing in their life. A man who loves Jesus who loves his family and he loves his church in that order. And so I'm so grateful to serve with your pastor and to continue our time together in our sermon series called The Big Story. If you have a Bible here with you today, I want to encourage you to turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And we're going to put some scriptures on the screen. If you don't own a Bible or maybe you're visiting church today for the first time, uh, we want you to be able to follow along with us to see where what I'm saying is true. And then the other six days of the week when we as the church are scattered in the places where we live and where we work and where we play, we want you to be able to go back to scripture and to see this. You know, one of the things Wade kids me about is before I went into vocational ministry in the local church, I I played one year in the National Football League. And so Wade will sometimes jab at me a little bit, a guy from Houston loving the Texans. And, you know, I played here for Tennessee for just one year before going into ministry. I thought maybe that's going to be my platform. Like I will have the opportunity to tell others about my belief and my trust in Jesus. And here's what he's allowed me to do. And uh, my first game ever was in Arrowhead Stadium and the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if we have any Chiefs fans in the room but they just won the Super Bowl, pretty big deal. And uh, that was the first stadium I ever played in. And I'm standing in the tunnel of Arrowhead Stadium and one of the veterans pulls me aside. And if I named his name, you'd know exactly who I'm talking to or about. And he pulls me aside and he says, I just wanna share something with you. Just just keep this in the back of your mind. You're gonna go out of this tunnel and there's gonna be more people than you've ever seen in your life. Don't be overwhelmed by that. He says, then you know what? You're either going to stand in the huddle. Or you're going to be out there on the field. And you're going to be like, I cannot believe that I'm playing a game in the NFL. You're going to have that thought. It's going to be surreal. And you may even forget who you are and the weight of that moment. And he said, and I'm telling you, there's somebody bigger, faster, stronger out there than you who is going to clean your clock at some point. Don't be scared or startled. Just dust yourself off. Stand back up. And keep pressing on. I thought that's so odd and weird to share that with me in the tunnel right before my first game. That didn't sound very encouraging. They'll go out there on the field. And so there were more people than I had ever seen. And I thought, well, that's just what he said. And then I go into the huddle and I'm looking at guys that you would know who they are. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I, I cannot believe this is happening. And I ran my first route to catch a pass and, and I caught the pass. They threw it to me first. And I thought for just a moment, I don't even know who I am. This is phenomenal. This is surreal. And about that time, one of the guys on the other team for the Chiefs ran through me and knocked me into the bench and cleaned my clock on national television. And I immediately got up and dusted myself off. And I thought, you know, everything he told me was true. Everything he told me was true. So when the series was over, I ran back over there and I immediately went up to those veterans. And I said, listen, that was fun. It was exciting. It was crazy. It was scary. But like, tell me what else I can expect the next time we go out there. Because everything you've told me is true. And so I know that whatever happens next, it can be trusted if you reveal to me what I can expect. 
And the reason I, I share that illustration with you is to illustrate the point of where we are in our sermon series. We've talked about creation, that God created things for good. And you can trust that when God tells us about creation in his scripture, it's true. We can feel it. We're immersed in it. We live within creation. And the Bible tells us that after creation, there was the fall or brokenness. Adam and Eve, people sinned. And so with it came brokenness and hardship and suffering and illness into our world. We know this is true. We feel this. We experience it. It can be trusted. And in the same way, last week we saw from Pastor Wade that God has offered redemption through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And it is good and can be trusted because God's word tells us it will. And today we're talking about restoration, that one day there will be no brokenness. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no hardship. There will be no grief. There will be no mourning. There will be no strife. There will be no struggle. That's good news. We call that the restoration of all things. And listen, if everything else God's word has told us is true, we can go back to God's word to see where even his truth about things that haven't even happened yet will come to fruition. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see exactly where the restoration of all that is broken and all that is wrong will ultimately happen. And it will be good for all God's people. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? And we're going to read from Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 together with us. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more and grief will be no more and crying will be no more and pain will be no more because the previous order of things will have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, behold, look, I am making all things new. John, a follower of Jesus, said, I saw the new heaven and the new earth. I saw what the restoration is going to look like. And there won't be any pain. And there won't be any grief. And there won't be any crying. Because the Lord has said, behold, I make all things new. That's gospel. That's good news. And it's going to happen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as I look out around this room and what I know from Wade sharing with the rest of our campus and teaching pastors, this is a room full of beautiful, creative, intelligent, successful, hardworking, sincere women, men, teenagers, and children. It's a beautiful room and a beautiful church family, but it's a broken world. And there are hardships, there are struggles, there's suffering. Lord Jesus, would you allow the woman or the man or even the child that's here this morning that needs a word of hope, that needs a word of comfort and confidence to find it in the message of Jesus Christ who will ultimately make all things new. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. 
Well, if nothing else from our time in God's word today, I want you to walk away with two things. I'm going to put the first one up here on the screen. I want you to walk away with two things. If you have a journal with you or you write in the margins of your Bible, I want you to write this down. There's coming a day when God will restore all that's broken and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary guarantees that it's going to happen. One day God will restore all that is broken and wrong with the world. And the finished work of Jesus on the cross is going to guarantee that that will take place. Now listen, when we talk about a new heaven and a new earth, John, who is a follower of Jesus Christ in the first century, was given a vision of heaven. He was given a vision that when the Lord returns... And when he establishes his eternal kingdom where he will undo all that is wrong and restore all that is broken, what it will look like in that moment. Now, I don't know if you ever think about heaven. I don't know if you ever think, what will it look like? What will it be like? We hear stories about heaven and we read in scripture streets of gold and walls of jasper and all of the beautiful descriptions of heaven. That's why I find it so fascinating. John tells us what's not in heaven. In Revelation 21, John doesn't spend a whole lot of time describing the detail or the structure of heaven. He tells us what won't be there. If you have your Bible with you, look right there what it says in verse 1. I saw the new heaven, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea was no more. I find it fascinating that of all the things John's eyes and mind could absorb and take in, he tells us what's not there. Well, let's give just a little bit of context for just a moment. I know some of us, we may not have grown up on the sea. We may not have been around the water as youngsters or as adults. But in first century Jerusalem and Galilee, the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean area where many of the followers of Jesus would have been reading this letter when it was written and sent to them. uh, The sea was a scary place. The sea was a scary place. I mean, storms could erupt on seas in a moment's notice. It was scary, it was unknown, it was murky, it was dark. And so the sea, for all of the people reading this letter, the sea represented the unknown. What's scary to us and what we fear. Now listen, I am a big guy and I'd like to think that I'm bold and courageous and strong and always leading others and my family in that way. But listen, you ever been water skiing? You're out on the water and you fall off the skis. This is hard to do, right? You fall off and you're waiting for the boat to circle back around, right? You're just sitting there kind of bobbing in the middle of the water. And has anybody ever had this thought? Like, what was that that just touched the bottom of my foot? Like, it's probably 100 feet deep, but like, some, I promise you something just brushed up against my foot. And then your mind starts doing irrational things. Like, what if there is some sort of beast or monster underneath that no one in the history of Middle Tennessee has ever known about until now? And I'm going to be the first one that consumes and eats. And it'll be in the Tennessee end tomorrow. Like, oh my gosh. See, the sea for many of us, then and now, represents what is unknown, what is scary. It, it represented the storms of life and the unpredictability and the instability of life. Now listen, scripture is real and it's relevant. We don't have to try to make it relevant for 2020. It is. One of the things John's saying is, listen, in the new heaven... And when God restores all things in the new earth, there won't be any more instability. You'll never fear anything again. There'll never be any storms, chaos, noise, or confusion. What about you? You got any storms going on in your life? Any noise going on that it's hard to hear what matters most and to make clear decisions? Anybody dealing with that in the room? 
You know, recently, one of the things that I had the privilege to do is go on a medical mission trip to South Africa. And and our responsibility was to pray for the people that came to the medical clinic. And many of the men and the women who came in, we'd say, how can we pray for you? It's one of the best gifts you can give any of your coworkers or your friends. How can I pray for you? To tell them you pray for them. And people would say, I've been, I've been diagnosed with this sickness. Pray for me. I'm scared. Anybody in the room dealing with something health-wise or just a cough or cold? You can't seem to kick, get over. Do you know that over 70% of the women and men who came to a medical clinic, when we asked how could we pray, 70% of the women and men said, pray for my marriage. I, I found that a little bit surprising at first. Okay, I knew you were most likely going to say health or something else, but said, pray for my marriage. My husband and I are not on the same page. Pray, pray for my wife. She and I are not good. I mean, the list goes on and on, whether it's around the world or here, how many of us are in the storms relationally, our, our marriages are facing difficult things and in our lives, there's the unknown and we're scared. We don't know what tomorrow holds and we just want some more clarity. We want some more confidence. And one of the things John is saying then, and that God's Holy Spirit through the written and recorded word of God is saying is just as creation is true and just as the fall is true and just as redemption on the cross is true, one day I'm going to restore all things when I send my son back. And when he unleashes his eternal, forever, unbroken, everlasting kingdom, you won't struggle with the unknown ever again. You won't face any more sickness or illness or hardships. I don't know if you saw that in verse 4. The one who is seated on the throne, so there'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more grief. There'll be no more hardship. And that's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Let me put this passage real briefly from Hebrews on the screen. But Hebrews says this, now since the children, that's us humans, since we have flesh and blood, Jesus also shared in these things so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. And to free those who were held in slavery all of their lives by the fear of death or the fear of sickness or the fear of never being able to enjoy relationships. That on the cross, Jesus, through his death and most definitely through the power of his resurrection, gained victory over sin, over death, and over hell itself. And so when the Bible says restoration is coming, Jesus is the one who can offer it. Because there's nothing that can hold him back. There's nothing, no no sickness, no illness, no circumstance that is above the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. There is no scenario, there is no struggle, there is no hardship represented in this room that Jesus cannot help you find victory in that thing. Because the name of Jesus is above every name and every circumstance and every struggle. If you want encouragement this morning for whoever was going to hit snooze and sleep in, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit woke you up, helped you get dressed, and brought you in here this morning so that you can walk out of here confident and encouraged in the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you, the first day day of the resurrection, Easter morning, do you know what the first thing Jesus said on the the Easter morning was? Like lead-ins, opening statements are pretty big when you're going to make a presence or an announcement, right? The disciples are huddled up in an upper room. Jesus was crucified on Friday. They're scared. Seas of instability, storms, the unknown. They're scared. The Bible says they're scared. It's okay to love God and be fearful about what's ahead of you. Jesus shows up. I mean, that in and of itself would have been scary enough. The door's locked and he just walks through the wall. I would have flipped out. How did you do that? And the first thing Jesus says is, peace be with you. 
peace be with you. He didn't say, pack your bags, we got work to do. He didn't say, did y'all see that on Friday? (laughs) I'm here, look at this. He said, I know you're scared, but I can give you peace. Peace doesn't mean the absence of confusion in our lives. We live in a beautiful world, but it's a broken world. We live in what we call the already but not yet. Jesus is going to restore all things. And through our faith and belief in his finished work on the cross, him dying in exchange for us, covering us with his perfect righteousness, our faith and belief, Lord, I I want to trust you. I want to follow you. Like We can right now tap into the peace he offers. So that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, Jesus, I want you, I want that peace. Like, make it so now he can do it. And that's what I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talk about reaching people with the whole gospel. Sometimes Christians communicate, when you die, you can go to heaven. And there's no struggle, there's no hardship. And sign me up, I'm interested. But if I did not know Jesus, and I'm not a follower of Christ, and I'm not a Christian, tell me how what you believe matters now. Because Monday's coming and it's going to be hard at work. Anybody feel that way? Tell me how it matters now. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the restoration that's coming that will be perfect and complete, we begin to tap into that now. You ever talk to somebody who gives their life to Jesus and they're like, man, a peace came over me. It's like a weight of the world came off my shoulders. I still am working through things with my spouse or or with my coworker or with my family members or this hard situation. I I don't know. I got to go to the doctor's office this week and I got to, but I know when I walk in there, Jesus is already there waiting on me. The peace that passes all understanding that can rule in our hearts and minds can be had now in this life. I find that Jesus doesn't always offer solutions to the questions that we have, but he always offers sustenance, nourishment, confidence, and hope that comes to us from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why the author of Hebrews says this, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. We can't wait for that day when it'll, it'll be all right. And full restoration will happen. And and we want everybody to experience that. That's why we have gospel conversations. That's why we tell our friends about Jesus. That's why pastors say, do you want to trust Jesus Christ with your life? Because we want you to know the peace that we will have and that you can have now. One day, God's going to restore all things. And the finished work of Jesus on the cross is the down payment and the guarantee that if all the other things God's told us is true, you can bank your life on the reality of peace and restoration that's offered in the person of Jesus Christ. The second thing is this. Here's what I want you to know. Put this up on the screen here. The beauty and the glory of heaven is not about what's there, but who's there. It's not about what's there, but it's who's there. And the new heaven and the new earth, what's it going to be like? I mentioned a minute ago, we get preoccupied with details and engineering. And will it be this big or that wide? Or like, what does the Bible say about all of those things? I I don't know if you noticed this, but God is in heaven and he doesn't seem to be preoccupied with its design. God doesn't seem to be preoccupied with what is there. He seems to care more about who is there. Look at what it says in verse three. Now, sometimes my parents would have to say the same thing over and over and over again because they said, they said, I have what you call a thick skull. I don't know necessarily what that means. They said, we don't have to say this three or four times. Make sure you get this. I feel like that's what God's Holy Spirit's doing to me right now. Maybe you feel the same way. Look at verse three. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. 
He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Now, I don't know about you, but in one verse, when God says something five times, five different ways, I think he wants us to make sure we got it. I don't know if you noticed this five times. Look, God's dwelling is with people. He will live with the people. They will be his peoples. He will be with the people and the people will be with their God. Listen, what God seems to be focused on most, yes, his glory, yes, his beauty, and we worship him forever because it's all about Jesus. It's always been about God. He is the one who created us, not the other way around. But what he seems to be most preoccupied with at the final restoration is that we're there, that the people of God have been gathered to his side, that we're there. And isn't that what God wanted all along? The pinnacle of creation was humanity, right? God wanted a people that he could be in relationship with. Perfect, unbroken relationship forever. That's all he's ever wanted. And because Adam and Eve sinned and because we're sinful in our flesh and the choices we make, it will not thwart or hinder God from having in the end. When it comes full circle, from creation through the fall, through redemption, God will have a people in perfect relationship with himself as he's always wanted. That's all he's ever wanted, to be in perfect relationship. I used to love going to spend time with my grandfather. I used to love going to spend time with my grandfather. He would tell me stories about World War II. He would tell me stories about growing up in the Great Depression. I asked him one time at Christmas. He was at the house. He said, you like that toy? Yeah, your grandmother and I thought you'd like it. I said, well, what are some of the things you got for Christmas? He said, one year I got an orange. I said, like, what else? He goes, that's it. I got an orange and I was happy. It's like, oh my word, like the stories and the history that you have. He went on to be with the Lord before I went into ministry and he knew the Bible inside and out. And we would have good conversations together, but I used to love visiting with him as a child. And when I'd go see him, he'd say, what do you want to do? You'll play a board game and say, like, I, 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 don't, I don't care. I just want to be with you. And he said, like, well, you want to, like, go outside and build something? He could build anything. And, I, and I'd say, no, I just want to be with you. Just being with you is what I've wanted. I mean, we could do anything. I just want to be with you. He said, you want to watch TV? I, I don't care. I just want to be with you. You know, those relationships where, like, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what we do. I, I just want to be with you. Because the closeness and the fellowship and the joy it brings from being together is more than whatever we could do. I don't care what we do. I just want to be with you. John says when the restoration happens, what God cares about most, it, heaven will last for a mighty long time, ever and ever. But what God wants most is just to be with us. I just want to be with you. That's what I've always wanted. I just want to be with you. I want to be in relationship with you. And for some of us, we can't wait for that, right? Oh, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. You ever prayed that? You ever know anybody that says, come, Lord Jesus? What they're praying is, Lord, yes, uh, undo all that is wrong. Wipe away the tears. Take away the grief and the pain that we deal with in this life. But I just want to be with you. Come right now. Do heaven right now. Come, Lord Jesus. And some of us are ready, aren't we? Some of us are ready. My grandmother went on to be with the Lord last month. One of the most consistent conversations we had, and she'd say for two decades, Aaron, why am I still here? I just want to be with Jesus. I've seen it all. I've experienced it. He's been good to me. I just want to see Jesus. And you don't have to be 92 to feel that way. How many of us, honestly, we may not get everything we want, but who in this room can't say in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have everything we need. 
God, you have been exceedingly good to me. I just want to be with Jesus. Some of us are ready. We're excited. Come, Lord Jesus. Others of us, not so much. Not so much. I can remember being a teenager and I wrote in my journal. I've not been a consistent journaler. I don't know how many of you do, but you need to, to look back at how God works in your life. But I remember journaling. I'm going to give this journaling a shot. And I wrote down as a teenager, Lord, I just want to go to college before you come back. I'd like to be married. (laughs) I'd have a nice job. And uh, maybe, you know, have have enough resources to have a nice vacation every now and again. So uh, thanks. Well, that was good. That was cathartic. Like, that's what I journaled, as if the Lord's like, yes, Aaron, because we've got to make sure those things happen before I return and restore all of creation. <laughs> Some of us, it's, a, it's okay to say there's so much I'd love to see redeemed and restored. I'm, I'm not ready. But I've got a sneaky suspicion there are others of us in the room. We don't want it to happen yet because we're not ready to see Jesus. We're not ready to see Jesus. Let me put this passage on the screen from 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians said, we're always confident to know that while we're at home here on earth in the body, we're away from the Lord. And so we walk by faith, not by sight. But the Bible says, if you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus, you confess your brokenness and your sinfulness. You repent of that. You turn of it and you trust Jesus. And you say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want, I want to participate in your kingdom and everything this guy's preaching about and everything that's told in scripture. Like I want in on that Lord Jesus, please be my savior. The Bible says that when we're ushered into the presence of Jesus, what he sees is from that moment of salvation, he places his Holy Spirit inside of you as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So when you're ushered into the presence of Jesus, some of us, we're Christians, but we haven't maybe been making good choices. Maybe we've fallen away from God and and we're not sure we want to see him because we're not ready. The Bible says if you are in Christ you were in Christ when you were ushered into his presence, whether you die and leave this earth or whether he comes back while we're all still walking and living, that what happens is he looks at you and he sees his son inside of you through the power of his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And he doesn't see your past and your brokenness and all those things. He says, you belong to me. You're mine. We're in relationship. We're in relationship with one another. So there may be things we need to talk about and deal with, but you're in relationship with me. You're mine. Can't nobody snatch you out of my hand. You're mine. The Bible says if you're fearful of that, if you're worried about that, 1 John 1, 9 says if we will confess our sins and repent of our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you're weary or fearful or scared of that happening, then get right with Jesus and tell the Lord, I want that moment to be sweet and awesome and wonderful because I want to experience everything in the new heaven and the new earth that you have for me. And by the way, I don't know if you know this about the word new in Revelation 21, but the word new in the Greek is where we get the word metamorphosis, metamorphosis. And the best word picture for someone who is new in Christ is someone who has been totally transformed. When we hear the word new, some of us think a better version of or 2.0, right? Listen, um, best word picture is a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. That's the best word picture for the new heaven and the new earth. It'll be completely transformed, vastly superior. That not only goes for creation, that goes for anyone that is in Christ. So you don't need to hesitate or draw back or be fearful about that moment and being in the presence of God. Be right with him. But that word new means that you are a new creation, a new being in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ through their belief in Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. 
doesn't mean like a better worm. It means like a new transformed thing, a caterpillar. Like new creation means you're not just a better version of yourself. You're completely new, made over, redeemed, transformed. And that's who you are when you're presented to Christ through your faith in Jesus. You get to do over. You get to start again. That's eternal life in Christ. How many of us, because of the grind and the hardship and the struggle, we want to do over, we want a second chance. And to be in Christ means not only are we guaranteed that now, but when we meet him, we can be made new in an imperishable body that's not susceptible to brokenness and hardship. But not only that, we will be fully known by God and fully loved by him. You never have to wear a mask in the new heaven and the new earth. You never have to post on social the person you wish other people thought you were. So that they think you've got it together. It is fatiguing, by the way. It is fatiguing to keep up a persona of who you want people to think you are. It's exhausting. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are tired and weary and heavy laden. For I will give you rest. I give you my peace right now in 2020. Right now on this Sunday morning. And you can begin again. And there will still be difficult moments. Because it's a beautiful but a broken world. But one day. One day, church. I'm going to make all things new and you'll be completely transformed and the heaven and earth will be completely transformed. And what I want most is for you to be there with me in that moment when that happens. Let's pray together for just a moment. Let me encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes because that may help you eliminate distractions that are in the room. We not only here at the church at Nolensville want you to know that you can trust scripture We want you to know that you can trust your life to Jesus Christ. And we want to give you a chance this morning, if you haven't been made new, if you haven't had the opportunity to start over again by professing your faith and belief in Jesus Christ, we don't want you to leave here this morning without doing it. So in this moment of prayer, you may want to respond by saying, Lord Jesus, I don't even, maybe you say, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know what the steps are next. That's why there's a church staff here to love you well and to cheer loudly for you as you take those bold and courageous steps. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you want to be right with him. You want to have that peace now. Then confess what you need to confess. Ask him to bring you back into that right relationship. It was mentioned earlier in the service, there's a card in front of every chair Grab that card, fill it out. Let us know that you want to follow Christ. You want to join the church. You want to get connected to others who are figuring this out one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. We don't have it figured out, but we know who does, Jesus Christ, because he makes all things new. And all the promises of God come true in the person of Jesus, and that's true for you as well. So let me offer this prayer on behalf of all of us in the room that we will have the bold, courageous faith to do what God's spirit is prompting us to do in this moment. And then I want you to be encouraged and inspired and emboldened in your faith by the examples of faith that you're about to hear and see and celebrate together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you offer us peace and that your finished work on the cross guarantees the restoration of all things. Let every woman, man, and child in this room who wants to follow you and receive those things, trust in you for salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.